The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, we're talking hoops. It's all basketball. Basketball, basketball, basketball. It not work as good as football. Football, 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 football. Hoops. But I do like hoops. 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 Love, hoops. Love hoops. Hoopity, hoops. Love hoops. The dribble and squeak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are new guys. There are lots of new guys. If I do the dribble, do you do the squeak, or will we do it the other way around? I feel like I dribble more. You squeak more. Or no, I, I squeak a little bit. No, just, uh, well, you, you squeak on a buzzer beater three, but. I do. I do get prepubescent at some point on some of those. That's mm-hmm. fair. And I just kind of dribble. Get all mealy mouthed and. Anyway, basketball is on campus. Men's basketball is on campus right now. Women's basketball has been on campus for a little bit uh, previously for camps, but they will all be back in mid-July for their off-season workout period. The men are in right now, and they get a few weeks of working out, and uh, we have both – well, I have been to several practices. You have been to, I think, a couple of workouts. We've both gotten a chance to get a really good handle on – this team and what they're going to bring to the table for ETSU in 2023-24. And somebody else who has a really good idea on that and some historical perspective on that that we'll hear from a little bit later in the pod is Pun. Big Pun is on tour. No. Uh, Isaiah Tisdale is back with ETSU in a director of player development role, and we'll talk to him about that. We'll talk to him about his travels in Europe uh, because he went with both ETSU and Wake Forest. And uh, uh, just a lot of other things um, about uh, uh, Pun's career and how he's gotten to this point and uh, barbecue as well. We'll talk, we'll talk about all of that. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. People will be shocked to know he smiled the whole interview. <laughs> right? I mean, just a, the man is just a, he's just a walking he's just a walking wellspring of joy. Really happy all the time, man. It's just one of, one of those guys you meet just kind of just infectious, right? Just how happy. And I think that's really reflective of the, the the mindset of this program right now. Everybody's happy. Everybody's having a good time. Even the guys that aren't necessarily like you know they're they're at the point where after practice a lot of people are getting extra work in. Maybe you're you're not doing it that particular day, but you're still hanging out in the gym. You're cutting it up with the coaches. You're you're chopping it up with your teammates. Um, you know, Alan Strother's been a little banged up. He's still getting one-on-one stuff in with Joe Hughley. I, I just, I love it. I love the mindset of this team, the attitude of this team, how much fun they're having, getting in the gym and putting work in, staying in the gym, wanting to be around the team. The team environment just seems to be leaps and bounds better than what it was a season ago. Well, and I think we need to start with probably the returners then because it's a little bit of known stuff. Obviously, you mentioned Alan Struthers. Um, he was getting a, a little bit today. I watched him. He's, he's getting some shots up uh, as we speak. I don't know if he's full practice. I've seen more workouts and individual yeah. guy stuff. You've yeah. seen practice. So, so we got a little bit two different – come from a couple different fronts. But Struthers knows he needs to work on his shot. He yes. is working on his shot. Um, his athleticism is still off the charts. Uh, 
he certainly believes in a workout program as he's gotten bigger and stronger as far as that has gone. But for Struthers, it's about shots. Um, for Jaden Seymour, it was interesting um, to see him again because we know he can shoot. I've seen it. I know Coach Oliver at Nauseam was telling us, you know, 40% practice, 40% practice. If you see him shoot in a vacuum down there, he still can stroke it. Game-wise, it will be curious to see will he be able to figure it out because two years I've watched him in practice, in the gym, doing things. He can shoot it. It has not translated quite in the game. Will it change in system in which we know, you know, kind of ball movement and, and dribble replace and all the other things and the fancy terms that maybe we'll ask uh, Tisdale about later. But he should have a chance to hit open shots. Will he hit the open shots is the biggest question because we know he can defend. We know he can run the floor with the best of them. Yeah. He's not a bad dribbler. Uh, doesn't kill you. He's not one of those, like, as he, as he tries to dribble up the court, you're like, oh, my goodness, pass it, pass it, pass it. <laughs> We've all seen those guys. The question for me is because he can't score, and his free-throw shooting got better as the year went, can he be confident with the jump shot? Because everything else about his game, I think, is there. I, I would agree. I think that, that you see the his ability to get vertical, and we've seen it in practice. We've seen it a little bit more offensively than defensively, but we know defensively. He is a player that's going to get up and is going to protect the rim, and that's something that Brooke Savage has hammered uh, every time he's talked about post play. He's like, I want rim protectors. Well, that means Jaden Seymour is going to play until uh, uh, the wheels fall off, uh, I think, because whether his jumper is there or not, he still brings considerable value to this team, and if his jumper is there, then we're talking about an all-conference player in Jaden Seymour. If the jump shot's there, if it's consistent, uh, if he's able to shoot threes at even like a 33 34% clip, they would they would love that, be over the moon about that. Um, that would be something that would really take him from, hey, this guy's pretty good, he's got value, to, oh, my God, we can't take him off the floor, um, in, in my mind. And, and you kind of hit on that with – you hit on this with Struthers, and I'm going to touch on it with Brayden Neelick as well, is that everybody who returns to this team – has an idea of what they want to do next. And I think that's commendable. Uh, that, that, that is a commendation to Brooks. That's a commendation to Pun as the director of player development. Like, he's the guy that sits down and talks about, hey, what are your goals? What do you want to work on? I want to tailor our workouts to make you better at the things you want to get better at. Everybody that comes back has a clear, this is where we need to get better and they understand that that's where they need to get better to demonstrate value. Illick is another guy. His offensive tool set has really started to come along nicely. He's got the jumper. He, he told me he was getting 200 to 300 made threes a day uh, in when he was home in, in Morristown. And now he's starting to attack off his shot fake a little bit. Like he's got guys thinking, hey, every time he catches in the corner, he's going to shoot it. And sometimes he does, and sometimes he attacks baseline. Now it's for him, and he knows this, is rim protection, one-on-one defense, what do I bring to the floor defensively because it's going to be competitive for minutes in, in, in this group. And uh, he wants to play. I think he is motivated to, to really take those strides to play. And if he does make those strides, if he gets better at the things he knows he needs to get better at, he can be a really good basketball player. And this team has so much depth because there are so many guys where you're not just hoping and praying and crossing your fingers like this one guy has to deliver or we're completely up a creek. If somebody doesn't get it done 
where if something happens, where there's an injury, whatever, you have the depth to be a true next-man-up program. Um, this group just just really exciting to watch. Be curious to see because the biggest jumps in a lot of college athlete, uh, athletes, freshman and sophomore year. Uh, yes. I, I mean, whether it's a red shirt, uh, you know, the, your true freshman to the red shirt freshman, or fre- your second year on campus is generally – some of the biggest jumps that you see. Now, maybe that doesn't mean, okay, everybody's destined to, to, to be all league in year two, but I think sure. you either know they're going to figure it out and they're working towards everything, or you start to see signs of they didn't improve and maybe this isn't for them. And I'm not yeah. talking about anybody on anybody, just in general. So for somebody like Struthers, this is year three, and he made a big jump from year one to year two, and again, Nobody really got to see him but me because I watched him practice when he was redshirting the whole time. So I saw what he was able to do and just how big or stronger and everything else he got. Be curious to see for Illich um, how he does. And then the next guy I'm going to talk about, because Justice Smith is a little bit different because we knew what he could do at D2. This was year one. It's almost like Juco guys and a guy that are leveling up. And we're going to talk about another level up guy in a second. But for Justice Smith – how does he do second year at Division One? Because I think at the end of year one, he really started to figure some things out. Like, hey, I can score, and I can score kind of how I did D2. I can bully ball my way inside. Yes. I can get to the free throw line. And he's got a nice little mid-range jumper. Now, he can shoot a couple threes. He's made a couple threes. I don't know if that's particularly right now in his set, right? But – he certainly can help the team by going to the rim, getting to the free throw line, playing aggressive, using his physicality, and, again, pulling up and hitting those 10, 12-foot jumpers that we saw him hit a lot towards the end of the season last year. So I'm curious to see his jump in year two, just like I am Ellen. And he's another guy who, when we talk about Seymour and his length and verticality to you know protect the rim, Justice can use his length to get in the passing lanes on the perimeter and be disrupted that way. And we saw that a few times last year where he could, you know, anticipate a pass and get a hand out there, steal the ball, and start a fast break the other way. Uh, that's You know that the defensive skill set is in there. It's about, I think with Justice, more than anything, it's about putting him in the right position to succeed. It certainly felt like there were times where maybe he got stuck with what they call the grenade, where, you know, the offense wasn't working and he gets the ball with two seconds on the shot clock. Hey, Justice, make something happen. We couldn't do it. You you make it happen. And that's not really a good position for a guy, especially his first year in D1, to be in. Um, I, I think he started to figure out, hey, I can, I am strong enough to, to bully guys around on the block when I get down there. If I just, just get started downhill, I can make things happen at the rim. And as he adds a little bit more offensive skill, uh, set uh, uh, broadens that out a little bit and gets more confident with it because he's being put in positions where his offensive skill set can be best utilized. Uh, I think he's going to be a, a really nice player, and I think he's going to be a factor in the rotation for ETSU in 2023-24. So that's sort of the look of the four guys that I think a lot of people obviously know and, and you know just update on them. Now we're going to dive into what everybody really wants to talk about. Okay, what what do you what have you seen? What do you know about the new, the new guys? guys? And the first thing I'll say is I, I've said it before, but Jaden Parker reminds me a little bit of Isaiah Brown. Uh, I know Coach Savage likes to say Toyo because uh, you know he coached him at the other school that I, I don't want to talk about. Um, 
down the road, and I, I can't believe I actually said Toyo's name out loud uh, because, you know, obviously he was the three-time defense player of the year in the league for another school. But I like the, I think he's a little more, right now, Isaiah Brown than Toyo. Toyo could step back and hit some jump shots. Not that he did it a lot, but he could shoot a three. He could shoot those from everything I've talked to and got the scouting report from the North Florida crew. And the one thing I'll say is, is with Matthew Driscoll, he was well coached. I mean, there's no doubt watching uh, just some simple things rather than going over a drill. Again, I've watched individual workouts, but just going over, you know, just certain terminology, certain drills, hey, do this, do that, I'll, now do that. You know, if, I mean, he's, he's, he's got it. Head on, he knows exactly what he's talking about, can run drills properly, works on his game. He's got a quick twitch jump about him. That, that he's thin, so it's easy to say because Isaiah Brown wasn't particularly a huge guy, but he plays strong enough in the paint, and where they make up a lot of the difference is their ability to block shots. Yeah. And the energy that Parker has reminds me of Brown and his quick twitch jumping ability. I think he gets up quicker than most people, so he's on top of him to hurry up and block the shot. He keeps the shots in play, which is something Isaiah Brown did, and then he's an electrifying dunker i mean i was watching some they were just throwing some generic lobs to him and he was just doing silly things so there's a lot of isaiah brown in there you know can he shoot free throws that was kind of isaiah's kind of bugaboo you know can parker be able to do that and can parker develop a little bit of a shot i don't think they need that out of him right now but i again that's sort of my take on again the limited time i've been able to see i think it's in there i think the jump shot is in there for jp um i i've seen it I have seen him hit threes in drills, and it, it doesn't look the most elegant, right? Because it's a tall, thin, six ten guy taking jump shots, uh, which is not—it's not his forte. It's not something that you're going to see him do a lot. But if pressed, if given the look, I think he can do it, and I think he can punish defenses with it. So uh, I, I would—I abs- absolutely like everybody on this team can shoot jumpers to some degree or another. Everybody on this team can shoot jump shots. Everybody that Brooks Savage has added. DJ Hughes didn't shoot a lot of jumpers at Butler, but that's because he was being asked to play a specific role. I talked to DJ about that. He said, I was asked to play a role at Butler, and as long as we're winning, you know, it doesn't. I'm not really that bothered if the role doesn't match my skill set. But when, when I'm being asked to play that role and we're not winning, then it becomes a problem. And that's what happened at Butler for him. And also, the, he missed 17 games with a concussion. But um, he wasn't happy there. A, a different situation, thinks he has it here, and I have seen it. DJ Hughes has a jump shot. DJ Hughes can space the floor a little bit. Ebi Asamoa, unbelievable jump shooter. That was that was the book on him the whole time from Delaware, but also athletic enough that he can get to the rim every now and then throw it down. Um, this group just has a really good mix. Everybody can shoot it a little bit. Um, I, I think offensively uh, this team is, is going to be – the, the, the real challenge is not, oh, we need another post player or what, is, what happens in the post. I'm not worried about the post player. The post player is going to be fine. Uh, I think it's how confident is this team sharing the basketball, moving the basketball. Once that value is instilled in them uh, and they can play team basketball together, that's when you're really going to see this group take off because that's when everybody is in a position to make the most of their offensive skills. Yeah, I think that's the that's the thing that even in the drills, they are having guys catch and swing, catch and swing, catch and swing, getting used to that ball movement. That's something ETSU was kind of built on, especially you know in the Coach Forbes era, which is what you expect when Brooke Savage comes back. Yeah. 
but it was about the ball movement not sticking on hands. I think a lot last year a lot of people would say, you know, the ball would stick. It was very sticky. And it, it wasn't swung around and moving around and ball moving and trying to get people out of position and, you know, doing everything he can. And so one of the guys I think that will be instrumental in getting uh, that offense going, well, one will be uh, our guest a little bit later on, but I think it is going to be Asimov because he's played in big-time games. Yep. He's had a leadership role. He's going to come in, and I'm not trying to totally compare him to, to sort of what Joe Hughley did, but Hughley came in as a grad transfer and wanted to win, but he hadn't won before. I mean, he, he was like, right. I don't care what my role is. I just want to be on a winning team, and I can help any way you want, and that's where, you know, Hughley kind of helped out. Well, Ebby's won before, but he wants to win differently, and so he's got a little bit of that older mentality, you know, at least the, the, the brief time I've seen him do drills and the way he talks to people. I mean, I think he's going to be one of those leaders that, you know, is invaluable because, you know, what, what leadership – you know, really is there. Again, and I think it all starts over because let's say even Seymour was a leader. When you get a new coach, you get eight, nine new players, they don't all know that. I mean, it's a whole different animal. So yeah. I think he's one of the, the, the big keys, One of the big, and it's a one-year deal, right? But yep. I think he's going to be one of the big key components. And the other thing that you already said, I mean, he doesn't miss a lot against air. Uh, you know, no, I mean, when you're not. just watching him. When shoot. he's open, he is, he is yeah. almost automatic. So it, it, it is quite impressive. Uh, talk about Hughes a little bit. Uh, I've seen him just a little bit. I mean, the one thing I would say, and I, you know, I think he would admit this, probably needs to be in shape a little bit more. Yeah, uh, and, and I'm not worried about that. That's I'm just not a, either. That's it's just a, 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 Well, that's a you missed 17 games last season thing. I'm, I'm not worried about that at all. He'll be fine. Yeah, so the other kind of couple other post-ish guys, and then we'll move on to some of the guards, but Gabe Sisk, freshman, uh, Really impressive in, in some of the things he can do. I've not seen him, you know, really guard anybody yet, so I don't, I don't know how that's going to go. But offensively, he's skilled. Gabe is someone who has plenty of offensive skill, but even he will admit that physically probably not quite ready to go toe-to-toe with E1 guard yet. Uh, just needs to get some time in the weight room, get stronger, put that work in in June and July – so that when you get here in September, you know, your lifts are more supplemental rather than trying to transform yourself into a D1 guard very quickly. I think he is a player that is maybe a little bit more of a true true freshman than Makai Johnson is. Um, but the, the potential is enormous with Gabe, and, and I think he is a player that is going to contribute meaningfully to ETSU in the future. Um, I don't know that it's going to be right out of the gate Makai Johnson, on the other hand, shooter. I, I, I think this guy can play. Shooter. I, I think he can play. I think he's he's great off the catch and shoot. He's solid off the bounce. And if you go to practice, you will hear him before you see him. He is loud. He is vocal. He is enthusiastic. Um, he carries himself in practice in drills like he's been playing Division One basketball his whole life. Like, so I just, son of a coach, right? He's he is really really fun to have in that environment and um, I, I'm impressed like, I'm, I think he's he, he's the number one player in West out of the state of West Virginia in, uh, coming out of high school this year he was a three-star recruit it shows uh, I think the talent is very much there I think the mindset is there um, physically again same thing as Gabe 
uh, going to need some more time in the weight room. Maybe a little bit ahead of game, but not a lot. Still needs you know to do the things in the weight room to get stronger and to understand that you know you have the ability once you have that that strength to go play physical and not be timid in the paint. Once he has that, man, it's going to be really tough to keep him off the floor. I think he could be really, really good. Yeah, and again, we've told this story, but that was Kendall Foley's, uh, his dad, Makai Johnson, was Kendall Foley's AU coach, runs yep. one of the better AU uh, girls basketball programs. And yep. so my guess is son of a coach is probably coaches are talking to their kids about the same thing they want their team to do. Uh, maybe in a loud voice sometimes through your own son to, to get them to do things. And I think it's cer- it certainly took because that is one thing that – and I think he knows terminology. That, that's the other thing. I think people think basketball, they think it's not as, uh, you know, it's just you just say pick and roll and that's it, right? They, 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 some of the terminology I think would blow people's minds away at just what they're they're talking about. Just in, And each team and each where you go, it's different, but because – Again, I think Johnson, son of a coach, a little bit of a higher basketball IQ, he's picked up on that terminology and is explaining it to older people, yeah, older players, I guess. Yeah. Also, I, I do think that sometimes you get a little too elaborate with that stuff, like different words for different things depending on different staffs. Like it's, it's, it, it comes down to, like, it, it's, it's all still simple concepts when you break it all down. It's like you can try to say, well, actually, this means this thing, this means this thing, but all it really is is just a very basic physical. It's like, what is a, you know, a, what is a down screen? It's just a screen that's a little bit inside the arc, right? I mean, it's, there's not there's not a whole lot to it um, in terms of that. There's a, there's like your, your fist screen or your flare screen. It, it, it gets... It gets really cut with, but it's just about it's just about positioning on the floor and the action that comes off of that screen. It's not really anything that's overwhelming. Once you understand, it, it's just like, oh, that's all that is. Okay, yeah, that's really simple. And then you know to look for it and what you're looking for on film. And really, I think that's the biggest thing when it comes to concepts in college is learning what to look for on film, learning how to scout, learning how to prepare. And uh, Makai is going to have a leg up on most freshmen around the country, honestly, because of what he has done in his past. And, you know, his background as somebody who has been around a pretty successful AAU coach um, who has produced a lot of high-level Division One talent, which we have benefited from on the women's side. Now you were talking about the, the two freshmen, Siskin and Johnson, you know, the weight room. One guy you have to worry about the weight room is Karan Boyd. That is, a, that is a large man. Oh, I, 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 that is a physical specimen? Is that a good term? I didn't, I didn't want to talk about I, I still think there are guys that we need to talk about probably first, like Corey Peterson, Tyler Rice. Those guys are really good. We're going to get to them. I Every time I go to practice, I watch Karan Boyd, and I go, oh, okay, he, he is that dude. Karan Boyd is good. He is physically ready. Um, he has a great jump shot. He can attack the rim a little bit. Uh, good perimeter defender. Uh, he, and he is just, it's its all about, like, whatever situation he's thrown into, it's own it, dominate it, be the best at it. Um, and he brings the same mindset, the same attitude, whether you're asking him to score, you're asking him to facilitate, you're asking him to defend. I think scoring is more his strength. And you know, one-on-one defense, he can he can play. This guy is good. Like he is really, really solid, and he's got the right attitude. 
to take a step forward and, and compete for minutes right out of the gate. You're not really sure what you're getting from a, a guy that was, you know, 18, 19 years old in Division Two, taking a step up, but there's a reason he started at, at USC Aiken, and there's a reason I think he's going to be an X-Factor type guy. Off the, whether it's off the bench, I, I think it might be off the bench, at least at first, for ETSU, but this is, this is the kind of guy that just screams X-Factor to me. When you get down the stretch, when you get to Asheville, the guy that comes off the bench and makes a couple big shots and sparks a run, like that's the kind of guy that I think Karan Boyd can be. Yeah, pretty good shooter. Uh, again, seeing him in shooting drills, and again, I've seen him against air a lot, so you've seen him in more practice scenarios, but man, he, he's one of those and guys. he can rise over dudes, too, on the perimeter. Like, he gets up on his jump shot. It's it's a thing of beauty. It's it's awesome to watch. That's the one thing I will say. This team, when they come off the bus, a lot more intimidating uh, yes. than the previous uh, team. All right, let's talk about uh, – and I usually save the point guards for last because, you, know, uh, you know, being a small guy myself, I enjoy uh, the point guards. The one guy I've not seen a lot of, but I'm not concerned about it, is Kamari Peterson. Coaching staff can't shut up about it. I, I well, guess it's, it's – they, they, they are – they are all true believers, so I am a true believer. We have had at ETSU, the collective we at ETSU, three players from John A. Logan. Every one of them have delivered far and beyond what I thought they would be able to deliver at ETSU. And he is the most decorated of the group. So I'm just going off. John A. Logan knows what they're doing, how to spit out talent. And the talent they give ETSU has been phenomenal. He's the numbers-wise and accolades-wise the best one of the group to come to ETSU, so that's why I've not seen a lot of them yet, but I am not concerned. As the one player, even out of the returners, if you said what's the one player that you have the least concerns about, Kamari Peterson is that guy for me. Now, does that mean he can play? I have no idea. Yeah, I, it's, haven't it's, it. I haven't seen him a ton either. Um, but I've walked past him and talked to him a few times, but that's it. Yeah, and, and he's a really, he's a really, you know, just super like unassuming guy to talk to. So I mean, you already like him for that. But um, I am confident that he's going to do the little things well, and I think that's what you're going to see from him first. Is he's going to do the little things well? You know, junior college guys, there's always like a bit of a learning curve when it comes to really taking over games. But he reminds me of a guy that you will probably remember, Jay, that some fans might remember, uh, a guy named Vinny Shaheed at North Dakota State. Vinny needed time to really establish himself in that program in terms of an offensive and an all-around, like, offensive, defensive, like, threat type of guy. But once he did, you, you were always looking to see what he could do with the basketball in his hands. And I think Kamari can be that guy. I think Tyler Ice can be another version of that guy, too. We, we, you know, Tyler has a ton of confidence. He's a great facilitator. He wants to be the playmaker on the outside. So that naturally lends itself to playing the point. But also, he's got the ability to be a decent jump shooter. And, and he's going to be in situations, kind of like I talked about earlier with Justice Smith, where Justice was holding the, the, the grenade, right of the live grenade at the end of the shot clock. That's a lot of what Tyler Rice was asked to do at William and Mary in the Princeton offense, where they are deliberately trying to use every part of the shot clock, and he's out there, you know, getting the ball with three seconds, two seconds left in disadvantageous situations. 
and that's going to lower your three-point percentage. So I think he ended up shooting like 29% from three, and you're thinking, ooh, that's not that great, but it's situational, and he's going to be in a very different offense. He's going to be in very different situations that are going to produce more favorable shots for him uh, at ETSU. That excites me about his offensive potential. Um, I think defensively he's going to be just fine. Um, these two point guards that Brooke Savage has brought in that are going to play, and really it's going to be kind of like a three-guard setup, right, three-point guard setup. It's going to be Peterson. It's going to be Rice. It's going to be Alan Struthers. Um, then they're going to sort it out. But the two guys that he's brought in are exceptional, and they're going to be exceptional players. And I think they're both going to make an impact in several different ways, shapes, and forms for this basketball team and be very, very influential in whatever success the Bucks have this year. Well, and you mentioned Rice. He's the, the last scholarship guy we haven't talked about yet. And, again, you know, a lot of Buck fans remember Caden Rice, his brother, played at Citadel. Remember what he can do. You look at Tyler's numbers, solid first-year numbers. His numbers were fine second year. His playing time went down and kind of – the percentage of play, I did the math, and you're shocked by this, but I did math. And the, the number of percentage minutes is kind of the number of percentage points and assists. But he was a very good, you know, assist to turnover guy, just like Kamari Peterson. That was the problem the last couple of years with ETSU. They've been horrific in the assist to turnover category. So I think a solid guy. One thing we know about, again, the Brick Savage and the system they're going to run, they're going to rotate heavy. Uh, the guards, especially the point guards. They will try to play three. They will have two on the floor at the same time. Yes, they will. a situation where whatever happened, and again, they've all kind of worked together, but Steve Forbes many years ago got stuck with only one point guard, and all of a sudden he was like, no, never again. We will have three at all times. That's the one position he is going to lock in. They will have three no matter what. Yes. Uh, In his first year here with with Peter McClain, didn't have three, and so had to go out and, and the next year, make sure he had three the next year, and so on. So Rice is going to get a lot of playing time. Peterson, I'm assuming, is going to get the start. But both those guys are going to see plenty of action, and they will see action together. And, yes, yes don't forget Alan Struthers. He will see the floor as well. And they are very confident in Tyler Rice's ability to play the two in particular. Um, I don't know about uh, Peterson, but I would imagine he will be asked to play the two a little bit as well, and you will have two, quote, unquote, lead guards on the floor at the same time. Uh, that allows you to put Ebi Asamoa at the three. Um, and then you can, I mean, you have opportunities to create all sorts of mismatches. Uh, but, but this is how, to me, this is how you build a championship team. You build a championship team with tempo, with shooters, uh, and with the ability to space the floor and move the ball around, get people out of position, and get open shots. Uh, and then you have the athleticism on the other end to be disruptive defensively to what the other team is trying to do. This is the formula, and I think the talent is there for this team to be a contender. And I I don't want to say that, you know, it's going to look perfect right out of the gate, right? There may be, you know, that first month, these guys are really going to be figuring out, hey, how do we fit together? What makes sense? There are going to be people who, um, who have their roles shift on them. You know, Brooke Savage is going to have to make adjustments because you're going to have a plan, but it's like everybody has a plan that you get punched in the face. So Mike Tyson, my favorite What, what happens? Well, uh, I got spin it the other way. No plan survives contact with the enemy. Like, that's that's your it's appeal to the Army background there. 
what happens when you get punched in the face, right? What happens when you get out there and the games start going, you're going to have to make adjustments. That may require personnel shuffling. Uh, those things are, it may require different guys to play different roles that, that they have to fit together differently and figure all of that out. So the first month of the season may be a little bit choppy, but I do think that this team, when you get into SOCON play, is going to be ready, their minds are going to be right, and they are going to be cohesive as a team to the point where, you know, this this group's not going to not going to roll out and, and lay any more like late first half eggs like we saw against Western Carolina where the Catamounts built a big lead uh, when they were here, like we saw with Furman in that game here where Furman blew ETSU out. Like, that stuff's not going to happen anymore. Those days are gone. This team is much, much better, uh, and I think they are. If everything shakes out right, I think they have an opportunity to be relevant when we go to Asheville in March. Yep, you know one of the big uh, key pieces for all of that not happening? Isaiah Tisdale. You want to just talk to Pun right now? I do. He's, hey, he's, he's been, been waiting patiently. Out there yes. for like 10 minutes. He's been, he's been just knock on the door while we hit the buffer. Back on Jay's first podcast, as uh, we're joined by Isaiah Tizzle, as we actually started the interview, and I forgot to hit record, and now we are uh, actually doing the interview. Oh boy, that is a turnover. Yeah, there ever was that's, one. Yeah, that's like rookie mistake to the you know ninth degree. I don't know. Anyway, is that is that better or worse than me forgetting to edit your open in 2011? Oh wow. Uh, well, I'm gonna always blame you more than me so i mean if you're asking me that's the probably the wrong guy to ask but uh all right so i i, I feel like i had a great introduction the first time i don't remember what i said but all right isaiah tisdale uh doesn't need a whole lot of introduction to guy who doesn't really know anything about turnovers he didn't have too many of those in his college days uh, very allergic to him i heard yes so um, and that's a that's something of a play on words right or a pun if you like. Hello now. Hello now. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. All right. We're in business. Pun Tisdale is with us, the new um, director of player development at ETSU for men's basketball. Pun, it's great to see you, man. Um, how has it been being back in Johnson City and settling into life uh, on, on campus once again? Uh, it's been amazing. It just feels like I came back home everywhere I go. is open arms. Everybody's like, hey, Pun, I go to Chick-fil-A. I was telling you this earlier a couple of days ago. I go to Chick-fil-A, and they're like, hey, what would you like? Like, what's your last name? Like, Tiz. They're like, oh, I said, Tiz, how's it going, man? Love watching you play. So that's just, like, one example of this community. It's just, it's just amazing. So it feels like home. It hasn't really felt like I left and I uh, came back. and just like, hey, welcome back. Yeah, so, Pun and I ran into each other outside the Culp um, and, you know, the other day, and we kind of reminisced on how campus was different, so very different from when we were both students. And we were students at different times. Uh, but, like, Dawson used to connect all the way to State of Franklin. Right, My first semester on campus, they bolted down the street where all the painting and chalk drawings happen now. That used to be a through street. They sealed that off my fall semester uh, first year. Pun had a completely different cult. Dawson used to be a snake pit right by the cult where all the cars were. It's just it's amazing how much this place changes and, and yet retains everything that made it special. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Like, everything about campus, like, the best part about it, like, my philosophy is always, if it's construction on campus, that means something's good is going around here at any campus, actually. So, 
a lot of construction is going on right now currently, of course, with the quad. Like you told me, too, as well, you was like, there was no quad when I was here in school. So yeah, exactly. Was the, quad was, <laughs> the quad was also like a little roundabout with parking on the sides of it to go right up to Brooks. Yeah, I was like, wow. There's not enough time for me to tell you what wasn't here when I was in the school. <laughs> The new library was being built. The CPA was not here when I was there. Buck Ridge was not here. I think they had uh, just opened uh, Centennial when I was when I was enrolling too. All my dorms, the dorms I lived in, were over where Governor Centennial all got knocked down, so they're not here anymore. So there's been a ton of growth since I guess I got here in '96, five, whatever. And then, uh, but always been on campus. But yeah, there's just so much. It is when people that haven't been back in like 20 years, 25 years. It is amazing to see. But you've been gone like four years, yeah, three I, years. I've been gone like, three years, and this place looks like I saw the I saw the uh, the couple. I'm sitting just like, oh my god, like, look at this place. You're like, where'd the ramp go, right? Oh, yeah, that's the like, like, question. Was like, I was like, where's the ramp? I'm, I think we see like the library. So I don't know. Like, it was just where's like, the rest of the cave? Yeah. Yeah, like I remember it before I came on a visit back in uh, 27, no, 2018. 2018, I came back on a visit in 2018. I was like, yeah, the cave used to be here. Like, everybody's like, the cave, the cave, the cave. And then I came in 2018, it's like, no cave. And now I was talking to you. I was like, oh, we got part of a cave in there now. So they, <laughs> kept, they kept some of the they rocks. They kept some of the rocks. So <laughs> I was right. like, well, that's a good thing. Have some uh, good old rich history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. And you, I mean, you, you're no stranger to rich history at ETSU. Um, T- t- talk to us a little bit about the opportunity to come back and obviously follow Brooks Savage back to Johnson City uh, where you were kind of doing your thing as a, as a, a GA at Wake Forest and um, what, what that experience was like and, and why now felt like the right time to jump in uh, and, and come back to ETSU. Yes, it, it was an amazing opportunity. Uh, Coach D. Fours, of course, we all and coached me back in, uh, of course, 2018 to 2020 and uh, Coach D. Fours offered me to job, of course, at, uh, to be a GA, uh, get my master's paid for uh, for two years. It was an amazing opportunity. I got to be in the ACC and learn from the best coaches, sit on the sideline next to Duke, NC State, and all that good stuff, and learn uh, from, of course, still learn from Coach B.J. Mackey, um, Coach Brooks Savage, Coach Jason Shea, who came on. Uh, the second year I was there, I uh, got Coach Willie over there, and uh, I mean, the opportunity over there was just amazing, and then when Coach Savage got the job, me and Coach Savage working hand-in-hand. Uh, at Wake Forest, yep. and uh, Coach Savage got the job here, and he was like, hey, boy, I want to bring you on. Let's get this thing rolling. I was like, Coach, you know, we got to ask me. I'm coming. So it wasn't really uh, do you want to come? It's like, I'm coming. So it was, it was an amazing opportunity. It's hard to pass that up. So, so what did you – because when you went over there as GA, Joe Hughley went over there as player development at Wake. Mm-hmm. So what did – you maybe learned from him and kind of that role, and has he helped you, or have you kind of kind of come up with your own player development? Now, Coach Joe, he's he's an amazing, amazing mentor. He Because um, he was there the first year. Of course, it was COVID. So when I got there, he kind of knew the rim. So he basically took me under his wing. It was like, hey, hey, pay for him, and this is what it's going to be. This is what you need to learn. This is what we need to do to be successful. He's like, and then once the year he left, he put me in a perfect position to be successful and actually elevate my skill set in a different realm, uh, from not on the court but off the court with a lot of player relations, a lot of player development. And uh, the biggest thing he taught me was a lot with if you had the relationship with the players, then they can, they'll go through a brick wall for you. So that was one of the main things Coach Joe uh, mentored me and helped me kind of kind of be where I'm at now. And uh, basically I'm also following him too as well. He's still mentoring me, giving me good advice and uh, – 
call him Uncle Joe as a player, and now he's, I'm like, oh, well, Uncle Joe, Uncle Coach Joe, I mean, it's the same thing, man. Like, you, he's incredible. So I really appreciate him for everything that he's done and uh, giving me the opportunity, of course, to help Coach TBT. And um, he's been – I've been in his office every day. He comes to my office. It's, it's a family-like atmosphere, so. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your assessment in the first, what, week or so the guys have been in here. Um, you know, since you left the program, haven't really been around the program, so it's not a whole lot for you to compare it to last year, and I'm not going to ask you that, but first week, new guys, your first impressions. Oh, first impressions, it's amazing. Because I was got to be here with some of the guys when they came on a visit and stuff like that, and um, my role basically here at East Tennessee State uh, as the player development coach is to keep these guys in the gym and make sure they are doing the right stuff and kind of fit our identity and uh, fit the way we want to play. It's kind of similar to Wake Forest because Coach Savage is kind of like the offensive coordinator over there too as well. But very impressed with the team, man. They get connected really well. The chemistry uh, is, is there. I mean, you came to practice. We've seen it. Uh, Keith has. And, uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to the team, man, we just we can shoot it well, pretty athletic and guard. Uh, we have a lot of intangibles uh, that we can do that kind of elevate our game up to the next level to be in that top two and get to the championship. Of course, in the SOCOM, also be some high major teams, which we can schedule a lot and things like that. Um, but not our team. Our team is really good, and I'm here to kind of help these guys uh, keep elevating their game to the next level to be able to compete at the highest level. One of the cool things that I, I don't really know that I've seen this terribly often is uh, yesterday after practice, and we're taping this on Tuesday, Twenty-seven. But yesterday after practice, um, the the older guys kind of wore out. They kind of tapped out. Like Seymour and Illick were hanging out with with uh, uh, some Brooks on the on the sideline. Allen was a little banged up uh, with a hip thing, but he was still trying to get some one on one in with Joe. Uh, but all the guys that that are here in just their first couple weeks ever on this campus were getting extra shots up, doing extra work, doing things to try to to give them the edge so that. You know, they can have a big role in, in this winter. When you watch a group that big put in that much work, what what goes through your mind as a coach now watching those guys do the things that you were trying to do as a player back in the day? It just shows, it just shows in our character. Character, we try to recruit a lot of high-character guys. Uh, a lot of times, okay, week one, you kind of get a feel. Everybody wants to get in the gym, of course trying to gain some brownie points, but now it's week two, week three, these guys are still in the gym, hanging out in the gym, their gym rides. It just goes to their character, and they kind of like the team karate, and everybody has that mission to just win games and stack good days on philosophy, stack good days on top of good days, fall in love with the process, and uh, seeing the guys like Clips staying in after, just hanging out with coaches, Jaden uh, Parker shooting free throws afterwards, mm-hmm. Tyler Rice uh, shooting free throws, getting shots in afterwards. Like, for example, guys is in in the morning, 7 a.m., 8 a.m., uh, it just shows that everybody has that mission to be together. Not, and you can see it in practice, like, even in, when they work out, they're not just coming by themselves, working by themselves. They always bring a teammate in. They always bring a teammate. They always bring a couple of teammates to come get shots in. And it's not us telling them. Coach Savage never told, hey, bring three guys. It's mentor to bring three guys. Coach Savage like, come to the gym, get shots in. These guys are bringing their teammates in to get shots in, to work out. Uh, that's, even if it's extra agility work, extra stretching, going to see Brad, I mean, that just goes to the team character and it's kind of like the team karate, how eager they are to kind of get this thing rolling uh, in November. So, Let's talk about player development because I think we 
go to practice. We go to shoot around. We do all this other stuff. We just randomly pop in, see what's happening. So we kind of get the idea of that. I think a lot of people don't really know what that means and what you do. Can you sort of break it down, what your role specifically, player development, is to the team? So player development with the team, uh, of course all the coaches meet, but the player development is, for, for example, for my, in my space, is to get these guys, of course, to play the way that we want to play, but also just to know their skill set and to keep building on their skill set to the next level and also implement what we want to preach to the guys, of course, during practice and stuff like that. So it would be kind of pointless to teach them. I don't know. We're going to we're gonna have you on the block five times. That's not an offense. So we want to teach them. And my goal is, is to teach them our offense in the player development because that's very huge um, in developing the team because individually you have to be able to know what we want to do and how to find your niche in our offense when it comes to the player development aspect. And also – Always people talk about player development on the court, but it's also off the court too as well. So we always break down film and so they can visually see what they're doing. So my job is to show them film and be like, hey, like for example, like Justice, hey, right here, you could have cut to the rim uh, in this open space right here. He said, oh, okay, I never saw that. It's like, okay, boom, so now we're going to work out for player development. Like, hey, we're going to work on back cut off the, de- off the dribble handoffs. That's just one example, one of many examples that can happen or we always want to say exchange, exchange, exchange. So from the wing to the corner, we always like, hey, when you exchange to the corner, most likely you may get a shot if the opposite wing drives into the paint, kicks it to the corner. If you exchange fast, then you get a shot. So then my job is in these individual workouts is to get these guys to go on that game speed. So when they sprint to the corner or they do back cuts, it's game-like. So when the game happens, they're already ready to shot. It's not slow. It's not methodical. It's already like, hey, it's just like practicing in the gym. So my job is to get these guys ready, uh, of course, for practice, to get ready to show them, of course, all the coaches what they can do, but also for the game, also individually for themselves. So, Do you get the sense that guys have a pretty clear idea of where they want to get better? I mean, like with DJ Hughes, for instance, he didn't really get a chance to use that jump shot very much at mm-hmm. Butler, but it was something that was in his game in high school that's something he wants to refine and get better at. You talk to, you know, Brayden Illick, and he says, I want to get better at one-on-one defensive rim protection. Alan Struther says, I want to work on a jump shot to get the defenses to, you know, come out and guard me a little more aggressively than they did last year. You get a sense that everybody kind of has an idea of where they think they can get better and, and where they want to grow. And how much does that help you tailor what you're trying to teach them so that they can be the best player they think they can be? Yes, and yeah, that matters because – you can't go in there, and I'm not going to be a dictator on what you're going to do. My job is to you tell me and let me know to build that relationship. Like I said before, early in the podcast, it's yeah. a relationship. So if you build that relationship, like, hey, what do you want to work on? For example, like, I might be like, hey, I want to work on my shot. Or like, DJ, hey, I shot in high school. I want to get back to shooting. Like, this is the time to do so. So don't don't go in in November, you're not practicing your shot, and then you're like, I want to shoot three. So, like, this is the time to do so. So that's when the relationship comes in play. Like, hey, what do you want to get better at? If that's what you want to get better at, let's work on it now. So when it comes to November, you already have that skill set. You're already ready to get that and implement it into the game. So, for example, like DJ Hughes, like when we go to shooting groups and things like that, we're not having them shoot jump hooks. We're having them shoot threes. We're having them shoot some mid-ranges. We're having them do some things off the dribble like he did in high school and things like that. So then when it comes to the first practice in October, they can come in and show, like, hey, this is what I've been working on now. I'm perfecting my skills. Or you can see the progression that's going on uh, 
that's going on into his work ethic to where you can say, oh, okay, now I trust that. I know you didn't shoot it last year, but now, hey, look at this. Like, you're shooting well. Like, you're playing well. Like, let's add it. What's broken, no fix. Like, let's keep going at it. So, that's just one of many examples that, uh, like you just said, Keith, like, that's, that's one of many examples where the player relationship comes into play to kind of cater to what they want to do and what they want to see their skills. Because if you fix that, if you work with that, then the ultimate goal is to play at the next level. What's the advantage, the fact that you and Joe and Brooks all together on, you know, Mount Rushmore of ETSU teams? Is I try not to corner myself into this center <laughs> for, for a lot of reasons because, one, uh, you know, the 68 team went to Sweet 16, yeah, which is, which is tough team. to do. You're talking about a couple of different Mr. teams. One was ranked in the, the top – actually, one Mr. team was ranked in the top ten. Mr. actually wasn't on the team that knocked off Arizona, which people forget. Uh, Jason Niblett was the starting point guard there, but still had Greg Dennis and the rest of the crew on there. And then, of course, your team. And, and, and you know, that's the Mount Rushmore. That's what I, yeah. Whenever I've been asked, I said, look, there's a Mount Rushmore. They're on the Mount Rushmore. <laughs> You're not boxing me into anything because I knocked all those guys. Mike, Mike Kretzer on the 68 team might, may drop down from Jersey and fight me literally. So oh, yeah. I'm not going to say it. But that being said, you guys were a part of something special, and it was taken away. And I don't want to go into that because it, it just made me mad. But you were a part of that. How does that help you guys, and not just this year, but moving forward, being able to just preach about, hey, we know what we can be because we've done something special here. Yes, indeed. Uh, Mount Rushmore, uh, it's a lot of, I think that goes to the East Tennessee State uh, culture when it comes to the competitive nature. Like each team, of course, is for the co- competition, but we all want to be better than the next team. And I think that's good because Mr. Jennings was great. Greg Dennis is great. Like all those teams were great with those specific individuals. And um, like I think that goes to the ETSU culture. Like records are meant to be broken. So I think that's why we kind of take it serious in that nature. But uh, to your to your question, um, I think the best part of like Coach Joe, even Coach Coach Brooks Savage, who was here, and uh, and myself, the best part about it is we wasn't we wasn't going too long. We just it was twenty twenty. So the best part about it is that we know what this place looks like. And Coach Brooks Savage was here and, uh, when they won it in twenty seventeen too as well. Uh, we know what this place looks like, so we we can say, hey, we were just here two years ago or three years ago, and we know what this place looks like to kind of. To kind of give you an aspect of everything, to be honest, honestly, some of these guys in the league, we played against still, you know. Uh, the Langley Twins, we played them in 2019, 2020. Uh, that goes to Greensboro. So, some of these, so we could also even pull up clips like, hey, we played some of these guys. Uh, and that goes kind of to our age, but uh, <laughs> but not the best part about it is that we were just recently removed here. So, we can't, can't say, like, hey, 20 years from now, this 20 years before, this is what it looked like. Like, no. Three years ago, this is what this place looked like. So I kind of get this advantage of um, kind of preaching to these guys of like, hey, we're gonna get this thing right. It's not gonna take. We're not saying it's not gonna take five years. We can do this. Do this now. Why not now? That's our. That's our thing. Why hey, it's not interesting now? you talk about age because we have a player that that said uh, he he looked up to Joe Hebley as a kid. Yeah, and, and, and Emmy uh, Samoa because they went to the same high school and mm-hmm. several years apart. But Joe said that makes him feel really old. Like, <laughs> and, and as you. You know, as you get older, you have a better perspective on your legacy and the things that you've left behind, whether it's the high school level, it's the college level, it's in your personal life. Do you have – or what, what perspe- how has your perspective changed, I guess, on the 30 and 14 and what you guys achieved? Even though you didn't have a chance to do it on the, the national stage, you still did something that, that no team in, in this program's history has ever done. Yeah, man um – the 30 and 14 was just, uh, it was an amazing team. Uh, 
we kind of always leave off on and only usually every only one team, well, a couple of teams include the tournaments, but uh, not many teams end off in their year off their college career with a win. Yeah. So that's I think that's a that's a feeling that we always end off because not many teams are able to end their college career or the end of the season with a win. So uh, that's how we kind of get that get that kind of bittersweet going back and. 34-team, man, just brings back so many memories. It's kind of thawing through my head right now. Uh, just sucks that we wasn't able to make it to the NCAA tournament because of COVID. Um, but we still tight. We still got, like, Trey Boyd. He's still playing. Uh, Lucas Gassan, I just talked to him a couple of days ago. Uh, he just he just finished up his uh, professional uh, season this past year. And I, honestly, I was – Bo Hodges was just here for camp just to hang out. And uh, – Honestly, we always we, the best part about it we got the bright memories. We always keep the memories. Like for example, right now I have my Buccaneers shirt on when we went to Europe. So yeah. I think the memories kind of brings back uh, everything on how special that thirty and four team is. Uh, thirty and four team was, and we still talk to this day. So we always bring back the memories and always say, "Hey, not many teams end a year off with a win." So I, I know the the one thing that made people turn the corner in their playing career is what you do the player development before it was a thing and getting in the gym and I can remember stories of, of Courtney Pegram and Mike Smith and you know kind of how how they would get in the gym and do things and then they would mandate that their teammates go I remember AJ Merriweather telling me his first week on campus he got up for a 6 a.m. workout him and Mike Smith and Micah Williams they went for two hours they went up to the cult to eat breakfast, and then Mike Smith says, all right, you ready to do agilities? And I remember A.J. looking at me going, man, I'm in a, I'm in a different world right now, man. I just worked out two hours. I ate. I'm, I'm fresh out of high school. I am done. I don't want to do anymore. And now they keep going. I know that, and that was a fight that Coach Oliver last couple of years had honestly talked to us about, the fact that he was having a hard time, you know, because I, as much as a coach tells you to get in the gym, and you're not far removed from a player like, that's really on the player. Uh, I mean, a coach, I mean, because legally speaking, coach can only have you in the gym so much. The rest is on your own. And at some point, though, guys that were wanting to do that, and I go back to the Tim Smiths and, and a lot of guys through the years, and, and Trey Boyd's a great example of it on where he wanted to take his game. And T.J. Cromer, same way. Those guys really worked on, like, man, I did not do well this. I need to work on this. And those guys did great at it, but they did it on their own. And as much as you – Try to get them and try to let's go do this. This is almost a, a self-starter. Um, like, they've yeah. got to be able to do it on their own, and then hopefully that's infectious because that's what happened on some of the great teams that we've seen. Guys are in there working, and you know what? I'm going to go quit. Well, that guy's getting more shots up, right? I mean, there's a famous Kobe Bryant story, right? Oh, yeah. he, Kobe's two, three hours before the game. He's going as hard as he can. You know, I think it was Mark Jackson. No, not Mark. I mean, it wasn't Mark Jackson, but there was another shooter go out there. Oh, no, it was Chris Paul. So Chris Paul told the story. And so he goes out there, and he starts working and shooting. And he gets an hour. That was his routine. Yeah. And he said he got done, and Kobe was still working. So afterwards he said, hey, why, why do you go that hard? He goes, well, generally I only go this, but I saw you working. I wanted to show you that I'm going to outwork you. And that was what sort of a Kobe's thing, right? Or he would tell guys, hey, we're going to work out at 6 a.m. And then he would work out from 4 to 6, and he'd be walking out of the gym when guys were walking in. He goes, I thought we were working out. No, you already missed it. So, that, I mean, there's legendary stories of guys that want to do that, but it is infectious. If guys see other guys doing that and working in the gym and working on their shot and doing whatever, because part of it, let's be honest, they want to play. Yeah. 
And if a guy who's playing your position is putting that much effort in, you've got to put that much effort in. Absolutely. So you said it right on the money. Uh, I think I think what you're kind of what you're getting at too, like as each person you done said, let's say Courtney Ping or Mike Smith, AJ Mayweather, um, those guys that kind of mentor AJ Mayweather, they was veterans. Like you said, Kobe Bryant going to Chris Paul, like why you working as a vet, telling them, hey, this is what you need to do. Like I ain't, I ain't showing, I ain't telling you. I'm just basically give you an example of how to be great. And you, you kind of, that's what we're kind of getting at to where, like when Bo Hodges come back, we're having all the guys come back, all the former guys come back, and it's kind of like we're trying to bring that pride back, like, hey, we're working, and those former guys coming back, it's like, hey, this is a great guy. And everybody, all these guys know, like, for example, myself, I just played there, I was the tournament MVP. Uh, Coach Joe King was just here. Uh, and we kind of see us in the offices on the coach's aspect, but it's different when you're hearing it from a former player. And somebody that you can basically look up to or kind of see yourself in the future. Um, and you kind of look at him and just say, hey, like, okay, like he's in the gym. Like Bo Hodges, he, come, he came back and was like, hey, what you're doing is not enough. And you, it hits different as a player. Me, as a, as a player, I always looked up to uh, DeSante Bradford. He was in the gym every morning. Coach Jason Shea, he's in the gym every morning. I'm like, man, I get in. I'm like, I want to be like DeSante. I want to be like DeSante. I want to get in the gym. I want to be like DeSante. He's in the gym at 7 a.m. Okay, and I, I leave, I work out with him, and he comes back at maybe like 12, gets some more shots. It hits different as a player. Seeing it from a former player, that was great at the institution that you're currently at. And that's why that's why that's one of the biggest things that we want our former guys to come back, even if it's Mr. Jennings or Mike Smith, Courtney Pringle, anybody, even if you play five minutes or you play 30 minutes. We want these guys to come back because they know that's how much that means to our guys to see it and hear it from a former player that was here at this institution to tell them, like, hey, to be great, this is what you got to do. And I think that's what, like you said, Kobe Bryant, Chris Paul, uh, I heard a story from um, Giannis. He was like, ah, I think I beat Kobe to the gym. Kobe's already in the gym. So that set the standard for the next upcoming generation and hope you can just keep building that up uh, for the next generation, next generation. Because, for example, I talked to Bo, Bo Hodges, and Bo Hodges was like, same thing with him. He saw people in the gym, the older guys came down, and I uh, worked out in the gym. And Like T.J. Cromer, he used to see him in the gym all the time in the morning, and that kind of set the standards. So, okay, that's it. All right, cool. You're paying attention. You're listening. You're observing. He's like, okay, this one needs to be great. And that that keeps going for generation, generation, generation. That's what we want to be over here at East Tennessee State University. And, and a lot of what we talked about so far is guys just kind of set an example with their own work. Uh, sometimes it's got to be a little bit more assertive than that. Uh, and I, I think you know where I'm going with this. Uh, Joe Hughley read you guys the riot act at halftime of the UNCG game. <laughs> And, uh, and that's putting it nice. Joe told me what he said. Uh, oh, and, man. <laughs> um, I, I won't repeat that. You can if you want. But oh, I, I, that's um, that was really just impactful, yes. shall we say. Because it, it fired the team up. You went out, you played better basketball, you won that game. And, um, you know, that, that, that maybe was a, a turning point for you guys where it could have gone one way and it went ultimately a very different way to, to what we know now. But um, how, how much – does it mean to have something like that? How much more does it resonate with you when it comes from a teammate, when you're holding a teammate accountable in the heat of the moment like that? And how important can that be in building or rebuilding uh, the culture of a basketball program? It's very imperative, man. It's imperative for you to like Coach Joe. Coach Joe, he, he, was, he was the voice. He was the starter when we all had different captains. Like like Coach Pat, Pat Good, he's at LMU. Of course, he's the head coach of the TBT team as well. Yeah. He was the more vocal one, more encouraging. Like Coach Joe Hughley, he was more like, no, let's get this done. This is how we're going to do it. So you always have a, have a different different level 
uh, to reach different because everybody is, is different, you know. Everybody may receive it different, like, hey, I might not like that. But it's good to have that assertiveness from a player because Coach Joe, what he did best is know the relationship with everybody in that heat of the moment. He knew and felt the energy. He was able to, to hit us in a different aspect of this is more assertive. This is what we need to do. And y'all need to quit playing around with USA degrees, bro. This is very PG. We can bleep it. It's okay. Yeah, a very, a very PG version of it. Um, but, no, nah, it, it's very imperative to have have a vocal leader just like that that's very assertive and uh, kind of gives everybody pump against them that extra, that extra um to go out there and play and hit a level that they never thought they could reach, especially from a player because as a player, you know, of course you hear the coaches all the time preach and preach and preach, but when yeah. you hear it from a, from a teammate of yours, it just hits different. Like it's hard, it's hard to explain because it's a feeling. It's a feeling that you feel like, okay, like this is this means something to that particular teammate. I'm not gonna let my teammate down. Yeah, I, I love my my favorite part about that story is that Forbes wasn't in the room the whole time. Like he came in at the end and said, "Well, I guess there's nothing more that needs to be said. Bring it in." <laughs> that was it. Yeah, that was that was it. Uh, Coach uh, Coach Chris Forbes, he's in there usually come in at halftime. He always. Uh, shows us, like, I don't know, some film or something like that. I don't know. Like, he usually comes in kind of like, hey, like, we need to we need to do this better. And, like, Coach Chris Chris Forbes walked in and, like, Coach Joe was doing his rant. And Coach Chris Forbes walked out and told Coach Steve Forbes, like, they're good. They're good. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. We played Mercer. was it? Mercer at Mercer. Or Mercer at one of those two. We came in the halftime. It was, it was playing kind of sluggish. And now uh, Lucas Gassan, he whispered to Coach Joe. Coach Joe's ears, like, hey, Joe. He's like, what's up, Luke? He's like, can you do that speech again that you did a great <laughs> We need it now. He was like, man, y'all got to figure this out, man. I was like, one time, hey, we ended up, we ended up winning that game. But <laughs> it was so good. Lucas Gasol went up to Coach Joe. It was like, hey, Joe, like, can, you, can you do that speech again that you did a great job? Man, I love that right there. We need it. <laughs> so that was good. That was That's good. about as loud as Lucas talks, too. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you did a presentation. You may have been too loud because Lucas, yeah. he was Lucas is very silent. Unless, he gets, he, unless he's getting a little mad, he starts speaking Dutch. And then that's when, uh, of course, we don't know what he's saying. But, right. Uh, yeah, Lucas, that's my, that's my guy. I should see him in uh, Amsterdam. He took him, to his, took him to his home and all that last summer. He's a great guy. What's your favorite spot in Europe that you visited? Because you went to now, it sounds like, at least five different countries. Oh, Jesus. Um. Uh, Oh, no, didn't you go awake? Didn't y'all go Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, favorite spot. Oh, man, let's see. Let me think. I had a great time. I love Paris. I love Paris. Now, London was pretty good. London was pretty good. London was yeah. pretty good. We did. It was pretty good in London. Uh, yeah, Paris. I, I really love it. We went to the Eiffel Tower and the Eiffel Tower. That was pretty neat. Yeah, that was pretty neat. I thought I was doing something big. I was there. So, yeah, I think that's probably my favorite spot. Yeah, I really enjoyed Prague when we was here at uh, East Tennessee State. Yeah, uh, Prague was Prague was. Man, he was only there for like a day or two or something like that. Prague was pretty good, and uh, and Budapest, oh Budapest, thermal bath, and uh, oh, man, yeah, Budapest, yeah, Budapest is really good. I so, really well, let's talk about this real quick. Just talk about when you you know, as a kid growing up, right? You you want to play basketball, you want to play college basketball, you want to chance the NCAA tournament. Did you ever see yourself? Traveling Europe, gallivanting around a couple different times. <laughs> no, I did not. Just, just, just no. skipping, skipping and running bikes. Man. Oh, my gosh. No, I did not. I did not expect that. I'm sitting there just like, oh, like, I'm just going to be in the States. I don't know if I go play overseas, then maybe I might might go over there. But it was like the back of my brain. Like, if I had closed my eyes and just dream about it, then I was like, yeah, maybe. But not really. But that's why, that's why college basketball is college basketball. 
right, another question then. When you were growing up and, and picking schools and throwing darts at places you want to go and where you want to be, where did East Tennessee State fall in that? East Tennessee State, they didn't fall into it until really uh, really until I got older. When I got in uh, high school, that's when I started hearing about it a little bit more. This was in uh, 2016. And then uh, you remember the year – it was the 2017 team when they did that. Uh, it's still, it's still circling. In Orlando, the Ducks. Yeah, yeah when they yeah, did yeah. the Ducks. The I, was, I was like, oh, my gosh, who was this team? Mm-hmm. Uh, 2017, I was like, oh, my gosh. And then uh, out of junior college, at least Tennessee State, I was like, oh, man, that's the team with that Ducks in the stuff. I was like, man, I hate that athletic, though. I'm not AJ. Or, <laughs> they was doing, like, windmills. And, like, I was sitting like, I'm not that athletic, but we'll see. And then, uh, and then the rest is history. So, so who, who recruited you? Um, let's at the tournament. So, I want to say, it was a little bit of everybody, honestly. It was Coach Steve Forrest, Coach B.J. Mackey. Uh, they kind of tag-teaming, and then all the coaches just funneled in on me, and uh, everybody was contacting me. But initially, they came to the uh, the junior college uh, national tournament, displayed at Hutch. We made it to the Final Four. And uh, after that, it was like two days later, they contacted me. It was like, hey, we love you. We need you. And, uh, and so BJ, Coach BJ Mackey, I can't even say Coach Brian Jones. Coach BJ Mackey, uh, he kind of contacted me. Well, kind of sold me. He, you know, he played for the McDonald's. And it's a long story, but long story short. But uh, he played for the McDonald's All-American game. My favorite. He's like, why are you with number 15? I was like, Vince Carter. He's like, my favorite player. He's like, I'm happy to talk to Vince Carter. I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, he's just going to smoke. <laughs> So then, like, a day later, he, like, he calls me, he's like, yo, pun. I'm like, oh, what's up, Coach Mackie? Right. He was like, yo, Vince Carter. I'm like, he's like, yo, what's going on, pun, man? How's it going? It's Vince Carter. I was like, what the heck? He was like, it's Vince Carter? Vince Carter? He was like, yeah. He was, like, talking to me for a couple minutes. And then, uh, like, 48 hours later, I won't say 48, probably 24 hours later, I was like, yeah, Coach, I'm committed. So Vince Carter's my guy now. So. <laughs> first name, you, you Vince. And another guy you don't jump like. Oh, yeah, I don't jump like that. <laughs> just, just watch this video, I'm like, all right, if I do a little bit more box jumping, I might can get there. And then next thing I was like one dunk a year. I was like, yeah. So the, the, the BJ Max, I knew him when I was like, he's a few years older than me, but I grew up in North Carolina, so mm-hmm. he was a legend amongst there. And then, of course, when he was rock and rolling at South Carolina, but when he got on the uh, coaching staff, and I remember because this is a popular question: Hey, who's who's the best player on the team? Who's the best new guy? Yeah. And we're sitting there, and I'm we're going to play Savannah State. Actually, mm-hmm. it was uh, the day night before. Actually, we played Sanford in football. We drove straight from Birmingham down there, and I'm watching there, and I call, and I'm like, Hey, I, I know who the best player on the team is. And they said, Who? I said, well, Unfortunately, he's ineligible. He said. And they named a few guys. I said, no, it says B.J. Mackey. Cause, oh, my gosh. He was lighting everybody up and oh, letting them gosh. know about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I let them know about it. I see some video oh. of that. I mean, you're all-time leading scorer at a, you know, an SEC school. I mean, yeah, you, you just, time. you know, you've yeah. done some things. But, uh, all right, we can talk all day. You got any more? You know, uh, or I, you want to save some for that? I got a question. I got a question kind of for the gallery here. So, I'm, um, so our podcast also goes up on Fans Nation mm-hmm. uh, from time to time. Uh, so uh, the the Fans Nation guys have a group chat, and currently that group chat is raging about whether ribs are barbecue. Ooh. Are ribs barbecue? I ask you both because you're both from North Carolina. Well, you're from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. You're from Kentucky, yeah. uh, but you were just in North Carolina, and you were in really the beating heart of the North Carolina barbecue scene in the Piedmont Triad. So, 
That way, I'm going to say you. They may not give you ribs. I would say, if you smoke a whole hog, the hog has ribs, right? I'm just throwing that out yes. there. And I've smoked a whole hog before, so I'm going barbecue. <laughs> okay, so ribs are barbecue. That, that's uh, let's sell that. Maybe we'll put those burly Texans in their place. Look at that. I like question. That should be like a question of the day every. Like, it should be a question of the day every day. Like question of the day, just off-topic question of the day. Because Joe, he used to do it all the time at Wake Forest. Just like question of the day. I don't know. It's like, is the world flat or is it round? Oh, oh yeah. It used to be stuff like that. And like we, I, I, I heard it. the guards were, were chopping it up about that. Oh yeah, they were talking about it. I was talking about it uh, last week. So like, this oh, point, no. I wouldn't be surprised if Coach Joe Hughley was like, we probably just threw that question out. He'll argue it with all the guys in the circle, and he'll just like walk out the argument. <laughs> well, I, I, let's. You're, you're going to get somebody that's going to make the. Um, um, the, the moon is closer than California because I can see the moon argument. Yeah. It's like, well, I can't go outside and see California, but I can go outside and see the moon. Oh, my God. Yeah. Never ending conversation. I tell no. you. Oh, boy. It's great. All right, Pun, we appreciate it. I'm sure as we get closer in the year and all that, we'll be talking with you a little bit more, but good to have you on. All of Buck Nation is giving you the uh, welcome back, and certainly uh, it's good excited. to have you back, my friend. Yes, oh, I'm excited. Thank you all for always having open arms. I come down here all the time and uh, into these offices. It's like, hey, Pun, what's going on? How's it going? Everything's good. The family's good. So, I mean, I'm just happy for you all. They're just happy here. So, Always fun talking yeah, to Pun. Pun was great. Always fun talking to Pun. Look at me. We got we to gotta get Joe Hughley in here at some point as well. Get the other, I want to get the other side of that UNCG game. Like, I want to hear his side of it. Because his halftime speech was something. Like, it was... I also want to get Brian Jones. I'm, i got a lot of curious questions yeah. to ask him, too. I, are, you, are you allowed to be in a room with him? I am. Okay. I, I am. Yeah, those, those days are – the NDSU UND days are past that. You've grown up. Yeah. Look at you. Well, yeah. yeah. That's a word for it. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. Anyway, uh, I'm out. No pods for two weeks because I am getting married and then going on my honeymoon. So I'll be back mid-July, and so will the pod. The Jamie right. Keith Show. The new married man. The married men. Fighters, right over. Oh, you gotta be kidding me!